Welcome to It Comes With Living, the podcast where no topic is taboo. We will listen, discuss, and learn from each other's life lessons, even the most difficult transitions. I'm your host, Stephanie BB. I'm a therapist and certified advanced palliative and hospice social worker. I have the honor of sharing time and space with individuals and families who are fighting serious illnesses, exploring their own mortality, or facing some of life's toughest circumstances. This work has inspired me and taught me so much about living on purpose. So join me as I share some of those lessons with you, and we'll sit down with some really great people doing some really hard things. And listen, we're going to have some fun too. So whether we're chatting about our peaks or valleys, celebrating our victories or overcoming disappointments, sharing moments of joy or heartbreaking sorrow, we know it comes with living. Thank you all so much for joining me today. Uh, I'm a little nervous, but I'm so excited. Uh, Part of what we'll do here is have really great people on our show who've done really hard things. And so I thought there was no better way to jump into this podcast than with the person that I get to do life with. So today, my very special guest is my husband, the phenomenal Corey Broussard, um, artist extraordinaire, daddy, husband, um, and the owner and founder of Artistic Embodiment. Thank you so much, Corey, for joining me. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. And this is hilarious because we were literally <laughs> sitting in our home and just looking at each other. So, you know, when I thought about what I wanted to do and what I wanted this podcast to be, you know, I bounced a bunch of my ideas off of Corey. And he knows how passionate I am about life and living and about what my work has taught me. I thought it would be really cool to see and fruitful to see what a conversation would look like with Corey and I discussing grief. Um, so are you up for that husband? <laughs> sure. Let's, let's start. <laughs> okay. So, um, so when I think about grief, you know, I think we should set the tone for people that don't know, um, in the context of loss for us, I think one of the most significant Um, losses or maybe the first loss that we experienced as a couple that was really, really significant um, outside of the loss of family members. But one that laid such a major imprint on both of us was the loss of your dad. Um, And so to set the the tone of what that season was like for us, your dad um, was diagnosed with cancer um, and he had a long fight where he had some really great um, victories within the course of fighting colon cancer. And so um, his battle was about a, almost a nine year battle. Yeah, correct. About a nine year battle. Yeah. And so we saw, I mean, and he worked and, and recovered and did really well. Um, but one of the things I think that I realized is as a palliative care social worker, for me, the family that I serve in became my own. And so I want to talk about that. So could you start with me? Uh, let's start basically talking about what was it like for you to deal with the reality of the work that I do now being your reality? Um, I guess it uh, became a reality whenever my father was first diagnosed. Um, I guess knowing and seeing the ins and outs that you deal with on a daily basis and knowing the steps and the process of dealing with somebody who has been uh, diagnosed with a terminal illness, um, it started it started setting in, and I guess it was always in the back of my mind because the the, the thought of it was that wow, like you know, 
this, you know, my dad could pass away within a year, two years. Okay. So how was it like for you to have to think about, like, did, did my work force you to see that reality? Like, did it impact your perception of his circumstances? I think what, what helped me, helped me, um, personally, um, was basically embraced me for the transitions. Um, I, I knew what was to come. I knew what was going to happen. So I was a little bit prepared, uh, for it. And not every, not everyone's prepared for it because they don't ever want to see their loved one either suffer or go through any of those transitions. Okay. So, um, could you share with like our audience a little bit about what, um, what I do for my work? And for those that you don't know, I'm a palliative care social worker. And part of what I do is help families process difficult information, but then also um, really talk about their goals of care and advanced care planning and, and really what um, highlight what quality of life is for them. And so um, when Carol was diagnosed, um, and that's Corey's dad, I don't think we say his name yet, but when Carol was diagnosed with uh, cancer, early on, he and I had a very frank conversation, just the two of us, about, you know, him and, you know, always wanting to work and not wanting to suffer. Um, and he doesn't talk a lot about like being sick. Uh, but for me, I felt like it was a conversation that we had to have. And so we had it very delicately. And I don't even know if I told anybody really about it for a long time. But um, one of the things that we did talk about as a family was about, well, more so as a couple, let's start there. We talked about how do we help your dad advocate for what's important to him. And so how was that having to think about your dad's goals and helping to him process and share those things when maybe he wasn't as vocal about them? Um, it was it was very it was very difficult um, because my, my father was not the best patient Um the, you know, the, the era that he grew up in was if you were working, you weren't sick or you, if you were able to do whatever you had to do on a daily basis, that meant you were fine. You were still thriving. You were still striving. And the fact of him not working, I guess, scared him the most because that was his only, um, his only way of showing, uh, love. My, my father was really, you know, he wasn't like an affectionate father, you know, he said, loved you, cared about you dearly or whatever, but the way he grew up and what he went through, the way a male showed love was that they provided for you. And if you took that away from him, like, you know, he wouldn't know how to express how he felt. So, um, you know, there were many mornings that, you know, we, you know, on my way to work, going through um, several different transitions, the way he expressed himself and stuff like that. And, you know, it was very hard because he was never an open, emotional person. Um, so I, I think I answered your question. All right. No, yeah, I think you did. I think you said, like, what the challenge for us was, was really trying to figure out what quality living for him was. And I think we figured that out very quickly, that working was how... He, and he even eventually said that, like, if I can't work for me, that's suffering. I'm not about to just sit around and just be here. I need to be able to, to, to work. 
Um, and I think something that you said that was really important is that um, sometimes for some people, quality of life is not how we defined it. Like we define it. It could look different for them. For for us, you know, it could have been, hey, you home, you'll be fine. Like, you know, we many days we'll be like, hey, today's a good day. You feel good. Like you're at home. You can relax. And he would be miserable because he could not get out and work. So when you think about you and the emotional process of living in that space where you became almost this mediator, I think, for your dad. Like you were a little bit of like his 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 um advocate, you know, trying to help sometimes advocating for him with him, you know, like about what's best for him. Um, but then also advocating for what was important to him, especially when it came close to the end of life. What was that like when you guys were faced with the challenges of supporting, you know, you were having to support your mom and she supported your dad who wasn't a good patient. Um, but also trying to help support her as she advocated for what was important to him when people didn't really understand that. How was that? Um, you know, it, it was, it was extremely hard for me because I'd be doing all this on my way to work. And I'm like, I'm sitting here having this life or death conversation with my father. And then yet I have to go do a nine to five and act like nothing was even happening, you know, because it wouldn't, because I'm a creative and I would have to, uh, compartmentalize the subject and what was going on to my daily day so I can be able to think and be free to be creative and stuff like that. And it was very hard at times to do that. But, you know, to be that mediator between the two, because it's like my mom, all she wanted to do was help and make sure that he was comfortable and making her, her form of comfort comfort for him was him being still and, and, relaxing. and relaxing. And his way of being comfortable is being able to go outside, um, you Use know, his work, yeah, <laughs> cut the grass, do anything outside, do anything physical. Um, because, you know, I come from a very hardworking uh, family where everybody works hard, you know, to provide and et cetera. And it's like, if you can't do that, it's like, you know, what am I good for? Right, right. And I think the 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 part that was so hard is that we all knew that rest would help his body. Like if he would just rest, if he would just, you know, you know, eat what he's supposed to eat, at yeah. least eat, you know, and, and take his medication so that his body wasn't having to work as hard to manage right. symptoms, um, then he would feel better and then could eventually work, right. you know, to some degree. Uh, but he, you know, he was very clear about that choice. And I think that's the tough part. And that's, it's also the beauty about the work that I do is it's really about helping people define their space and help them live on their terms. But that does not mean it's easy for families who are supporting these people who are deciding to live on their terms and do life as they would have it. So what was it like when you guys were supporting your dad and we realized that the cancer had progressed to a point where there was nothing that we could do. Like there was no additional treatment that was available. Um, there was some radiation that would be palliative, but it would be harmful for him as far as comfort. He, you know, and he was very clear about not wanting to be sick anymore, you know, and not wanting the symptoms. So how was it for you guys to know that he had reached this conclusion about what he wanted for himself and that he didn't want to, he was tired, you know, he didn't want to, do be sick anymore um and that the treatment you know even if we wanted to do extra there wasn't extra to do but people didn't understand that 
right? And so we're going to get very real because this is my podcast. And I believe how we help people is to understand some of the challenges. And we didn't ask permission from my mother-in-law, who's one of my favorite people, to have this conversation um, or anybody else. So we're, we're going to ask for forgiveness rather than permission. But um, one of the things that we dealt with as a family, I remember very, very keenly, you know, um, my father-in-law transitioned to hospice. It was a his decision to um, be comfortable. We, we connected with a uh, hospice in the area that had an inpatient hospice that was a beautiful uh, facility. And we literally, as a family, like hunkered down and that became home for us uh, in near end of life. And, um, I'll never forget having to have a conversation, uh, with a family member about why we were killing him. Yeah. Cause, cause the, the thing about it is, is this as African-Americans, like we don't, we don't embrace loss, um, easily. Okay. Yeah. And everybody has their own, um, different perspective on how a person should live, how a person should uh die and the thing about it is is um cancer is a, a very serious um sickness that needs to be uh watched closely and um and 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 I, and I thank you and I'm very proud for what you do cuz you know a lot of things that we don't know in our own culture is the process of death yeah and we're just we're we're I won't say that we're blind I think that we just try to ignore the fact that it's yeah. happening. Yeah. Um, because for so many years we see this person, you know, striving and hardworking and, um, you know, and I, and I, I laugh to this day is like, you know, I remember growing up and I'd always be working with my father and I'm like, man, I'm never going to work like you. I'm, I can't work seven days a week. Yeah. You know, yada, yada, yada. And like, I laugh at myself cause I work seven days a week. Like I, and work is what, what considered hard labor to other people for him was, was, days, like, was, was fun, fun. Mm-hmm. you know, that was fun. So, you know, you know, I look at it the same way, but you know, to, to address the question is basically, um, we don't know, like as, as, as black males, as, you know, um, African-Americans, like we don't know the process of death. And I think that's the biggest thing. Um, you know, because some family members, you know, or, you know, some people in your family might think that, well, if he did this, he could have lasted a little bit longer. Or if he was up working, that's something against fighting, you know, because we think that if I'm doing something physical, I'm fighting the cancer on my own. Like I'm, my, I'm telling my body that I will not quit. Mm-hmm. So you might as well quit trying to make right, me quit. Right. And that's not, that's not the, um, that's just not the, you know, how it's going to happen. And I think that the biggest thing is that while we have, um, the biggest thing is why, you know, why we have families, um, my personal opinion is why we have families like divide when people pass away is because the family doesn't fully understand the process of life and death. Yeah. And you know, that, that, that's the biggest and the, you know, thing that we miss um, just growing up because when, when we're growing up, um, we don't talk about death. We don't talk about hospitals and we don't talk about needing to go get checkups and going to the hospital and stuff like that. And that, oh, that's a whole nother conversation. Like that's a thing itself. Yes. So, you know, um, having, 
having angry family members and having and it, and it's not that people I don't take it as people were mad or angry. They were mad and mad and angry is like a form of uh they, they were they, hurt. They were hurt. They were communicating. Yeah. They didn't know how to communicate that they were hurt that they were losing, you know, a brother, an uncle, um uh you know a mentor you know, it hurts because, you know, a lot of people, you really don't know what part that person played in that person's life until that person's gone. Yeah, they're acknowledging the absence. No, that makes sense. I think it's valuable about the work that I do is exactly what you said is that, you know, we get to help families be aware and be prepared and be alert about what is happening. Um, because the reality was, is that we still had faith because, you know, we're believers. So we believe that if God wanted to do a miracle, he was going to do a miracle, whether we saw it on earth or whether he was healed in heaven. That is our personal belief. But sometimes that's difficult to convey to people where all they can physically and tangibly see is the loss. Right. And trees in their own way. Yeah. You know, um, I know that our son Corey was going to, um, grieve differently than my nephew Yeah, because my nephew saw it day, day in, day out. All, everyone that lived home, because we don't, I, I, we're, we're in Texas and my family's in, uh, in Louisiana. So, um, although I heard about it every day, they lived it right. every day. So, right. you know, everybody grieves differently and everybody holds on to something different, you know? And, um, you know, I, I always say kudos to my mom, my sisters, my, my nephew, my nieces, everybody that had to deal with it day to day. Um, because that, you know, that's a lot of a strength that you had to, you, you know, you have to put up and you see your, you know, your loved one, your, you know, your dad, your superhero, whatever declining and then you can't really do anything. Yeah. So let's go there. I want to talk about that. I think, you know, um, such a phenomenal man and such a major impression. So we go through this transition. We, you know, we lose your dad. And one of the conversations, I am actually going to go here. One of the very first conversations that we had, uh, and I know it came from a place of hurt, but one of the things you said to me was because of you, you robbed this experience, robbed me of this experience. You remember that conversation? Uh. Yes, but I, I, yes, briefly, but yes, I did. Okay, so I'm going to play it all the way back for you so that you can kind of get the framework, and just in, in case you don't remember. So we were having this argument. You were really upset and just kind of just like trying to figure out how to be present for your family in Louisiana and trying to fill up all of that space, right? To to your dad was the, you know, he filled a lot of space for a lot of people, right? And so you were like, I'm in Texas. And my mama is there. Like I, I, my mama didn't have a husband. My daddy, you know, they he they have a barn and a you know this big piece of land and the business and what does that mean and and all of this. And you were just like, like, but because of you, like I was, and I don't know if it was because of me, like you were here, or if it was because of me you knew too much, so you didn't get to process or whatever. But there was a lot of emotion and almost it seemed like difficulty. So, okay, so let me, uh, I guess, answer that. I think that, <clears throat> and, you know, as males, that we don't clearly state how we're feeling. It's a whole bunch of emotions. 
I think what I was meaning was that, um, you know, people were wondering why I wasn't uh, emotional, why I wasn't down, why I wasn't crying, you know, and, and, you know, and I did cry. I cried at the, you know, the funeral and stuff like that because, you know, I lost my, my father. And the, the thing about it was, was like, I didn't say that, like, I wouldn't say that I said you robbed me from the experience. I think that I was numb to the situation because I guess I knew the process. The process, it was almost like, it was almost like, you know, uh, a daily prayer. Like everything that you say in the morning, like in the daily prayer, is like a routine. Like you, you're praying for so-and-so, keep them covered or whatever, this and that. So me knowing the process was like a daily thing that thought that rolled through my head. This is going to happen. Such as it's going to, you know, happen or whatever. And, you know, as a, you know, as a male in my, in my immediate family, there was so much weight that fell on me at one time that I wasn't prepared for. Um, because one, I was worried. I was worried. I was hurt. I was scared. I was confused. Um, questioning because even the most spiritual Christians, etc., will will one day question God's decision. Yeah. And the and the thing about it was was that I was here. I didn't know um, who was going to do what. Um, you know, was my nephew okay? Um, were both of my nephews okay? Was my sisters okay? Because again, we all express grief in different ways. And to be honest with you, um, if I wasn't married to you or, you know, seen everything, like, I don't think that I would have gone to counseling or share this or anything like that, you know, because that's how I was taught. Like, I, I know for a fact that I grieved the loss of my father the exact same way my father grieved for his father when he passed away. I saw it like it just dawned on me because I knew that we were going to talk about this or whatever. And I was like, wow, I really just grieved the way my dad grieved, grieved for his dad. And it was like at the funeral, or whatever, my dad cried for a certain amount of time. And then it was just like, you know, yeah, he assumed I had that to be, posture. Yeah. He posture. He um, became that backbone. He worried about his sisters, his brothers, you know, everything else or whatever. And I did the exact same thing. So it's like certain things that, you know, we see our children do or whatever. It's like a learned behavior. And it was like, I wanted my son to see me cry. I wanted him to see me emotional or whatever. Um, because that's, that's something that I don't express, you know, crying emotionally to him or anything like that, you know. And I think that that was the biggest thing of saying that, Rob, I mean, to be honest with you, it's like you deal with death day in and day out. And what you deal with, even though you don't express it to the family, we feel it also. So that's that's where like the numbness came through because it was just like, it's just, you know, another yeah. patient, another process, etc. So do you think it could have been, just to kind of clarify, do you think it could have been that you were prepared or educated rather than numb? Because I feel like I saw the emotions. I feel like I saw the the changes. I don't want to challenge how you feel if that's how you feel, that you were numb. But I feel like I saw the emotions. 
So I felt like you were feeling, but what I felt like is that you were educated. So your response was different than you anticipated. Like, I think you anticipated, like, how will I cope? How will I get up the next morning? Like, how will I, you know, move at all? And I think because you were educated, nobody's reaction was as we anticipated, right? Because we just knew more. Um, and that could be also me trying to find a scapegoat, like for my own emotions to feel like you weren't numb because of my exposure. I, I think that um, it was a little bit of both. I think that because I was more educated, I understood. And then because of me becoming closer with, you know, Christ and everything like that, I understood the process, but at the same time was still numb. Um, I think that every person goes through a grieving process. Um, me, me being uh, overwhelmed and not feeling numb, I think it was more of an overwhelmed way of, of everything that was happening. Mm -hmm. So, you know, me saying that, you know, you robbed me of me being, be able to grieve. I don't think that, I think that I was just numb and I was numb for a long time about the situation. Cause like everything dread you know, drastically changed, you know, during that, during that time that my father was sick, like I went to the gym like twice, yeah. like twice a day yeah. or whatever. That was like a routine. Like that was my way of coping with, yeah. I can't be there physically. I have to, you know, I can't be there physically. That was my way out. That was my reliefs. Um, my getaway. There was no phone calls, nothing like that. But then I'd call my mom right after because I felt I felt sad. I felt mad, confused all at the same time. Was it because guilt? um I did feel guilt because I wasn't there. Um, you know, and the 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 thing about it was was that um, <clears throat> it was just a confusing time. Yeah. You know, because like I said, like there is like no blueprint. Like we don't ever see. I mean, it was just like, um, you know, just thinking about so much stuff going on. Your load was heavy too. Like, so yeah. I was, so you, we, you're losing your dad mm -hmm. and I am completely, I'm pregnant and completely sick and on bed rest. Yeah. So your load was absolutely like your plate was full and i don't think i think that no one well actually no one knew so we never told anyone that you were pregnant right because we were scared because we were yeah. you know scared um there was so much going on and it was just like the thing about it was you know you were very sick my dad was sick so i was dealing with sickness of two different types sickness sickness of ending up in death and sickness of ending up in life, you know? So or I was confused where, you know, you're sick and is the baby going to make it? You know, you're constantly throwing up, you're in and out of the hospital. Uh, my dad's in and out of the hospital. Uh, my emotions were everywhere um, because it became a pattern as much as, you know, you say that you don't like to, me to say the word patterns. It was, you know, you would come home and you would say that you had a good day and I was like, all right, cool. You know, she feels good. She's eating or whatever. And then now within 30 minutes later, I'd call and see how my dad was doing. So whenever you were feeling good, he was having a bad day. Whenever he was feeling good and having a good day, you were having a bad day. Mm -hmm. So it was like, it flip-flop every, you know, the whole time. And it was, you know, I always noticed that, you know, like for Christmas, 
I think that, you know, our last Christmas down there, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you were sick. You were in the bedroom. You didn't want to come out. Nobody understood, why, you know, why you were in the bedroom, why you were sleeping so much or whatever. And I think that's whenever I told my dad and my mom, you know, we decided to tell them, like, you know, you're, you know, you're pregnant, you're expecting, mm-hmm. you know, this and that. And my mom was like, oh, so I kind of figured, you know, mm-hmm. that's why she was sleeping, you know. And the thing about it was, was like, you kept dealing with all the sickness back and forth and my dad was dealing with all the sickness back and forth and immediately when my dad passed away your sickness went away mm-hmm. completely yeah and it was very strange and odd and stuff like that and it was just it was just so much so much stuff going on and i, I you know i wouldn't wish that on no one yeah because um, as a male that was very stressful um dealing with both those sides of sickness yeah yeah so i could only imagine what the weight was for for you in that space um so but i I think you carried it so well um and you know i think um it was a hard hard time but i think like to see the other side of it one of the things that um we talked a little bit about was like your patterns about like waking up in the morning and you know we were purchasing a house, a new house. We're selling our old house. And one of the things we did when we walked in the door, um, you noticed like something about the house and was like, oh, you know, this has to be it because of, I think it was the hand scraped floors or something like that. And, and I mean, just so many layers of uh, bringing your dad into our space. And so what I like to talk about is that, you know, in grief, one of the things I do in grief work with my clients is talk about how, Part of the challenge, I think, in our culture is that we have this misconception that we have to learn to, like, we learn and to live without the physical presence of our loved one, right? But that we force our brains to think that we have to just kind of forget that they existed. And that's not the goal. The goal is really to learn to live with their physical absence, but incorporate their presence in today. And that's something we've really tried hard to do is create spaces where we honor your dad, we make mention an intentional um opportunities to bring him into our space so like your saturday mornings or when we you know talk about our cardinals or that kind of thing like so how has it been like to live with grief um it it actually has its ups and downs um you know whenever things are going rough or whatever this and that i know i find myself uh looking up and be like you know i need you right now i need you to show up I need your help. And um, there are times whenever we're uh, <laughs> we're playing baseball or whatever, this and that, and I look up and I'm like, can you please just let Corey get a hit? Are Come on, please? my angel in the outfield. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he won't feel so down and, you know, he's working hard and stuff like that. Just, you know, some, you know we just need a break, you know. Or um, because I, I know that during the time, uh, of dealing with, you know, when if he's transitioning and dealing with you being sick or whatever, this and that, you know, living with that, you know, day-to-day grieving is like, not every day is going to be perfect. Not every day is going to be up. Not every day is going to be down or whatever. There, there's so much that I can go on and on about or whatever, this and that, because you want that person physically here. Like, look what I'm doing. Like, look, you know. Yeah. And... Um, for that person not to be physically here, it kind of hurts. But at the same time, you know that they're watching over you and they yeah. see everything that you're doing 
and they're, you know, they're watching over you, they're protecting you, they're, you know, they're your angel, your, you know, your guardian angel, whatever, you know, how people want to describe it, but, um, it has its ups and downs, you know, it's not, it's not ever that you, you never, no matter how old you're going to get, you'll never forget your parents, Yeah. you know, so. Um, I remember specifically when, um, early on you would be like emotional and you would seek out Corey, like little Corey, you would seek him out to be like, you know, today is hard. I really miss my dad. You know, I want, I want you to know today is a hard day and I miss Papa. Um, tell me about that. Um, it, it was, it was extremely important to me to, to reach out to Corey to express how I was feeling because I, you know, Corey is a very bright young child, so he can, he'll sense something's wrong. Yeah, he's super intuitive. And he'll, he'll ask several times and, um, I caught myself one time getting angry with him because I, t- like, I said, you know, didn't I just say, you know, nothing was wrong, you know, this and that. Then I, I caught myself and I was like, let me explain to you what's wrong with me. What am I feeling? Because I don't ever want it to be like I'm coming off, um, I'm coming off angry or if I'm angry at him and, you know, because he was always, you know, Corey's like a, a, a people pleaser. He wants to make sure that he's doing his part you know, as a child. And, and the thing about that was like, I just, I just wanted him to understand like what I was going through. And it was hard, you know, because, you know, our son has not experienced being fatherless. Right. Right. And it, you know, that, you know, and that's a blessing. That's a blessing, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, a lot of kids don't have that blessing. And I wanted him to, you know, I wanted him to cherish everything. I wanted him to understand um, every moment that we have, you know, to remember it. Yeah. Know. Yeah. So I think that's so important because I think what, what that did was teach him a little bit about the importance of number one, honoring the spaces that we're in and honoring the people in our lives, but also like how to carry and, and live with grief and how to deal with it. Like we don't, we don't shy away from the tough topics in this house. <laughs> he keeps us, he keeps us honest for sure. And so we do have a lot of difficult conversations about how we're coping and how we're living with different circumstances. Yeah. So if there were, you know, a guy out there who is, or even a woman, I think the lessons that you share with us about your experience could be applied to, to any loss, you know, um, I think there were some lessons that I took from you and the loss of my grandmother as well, but, um, and we can talk about that on another day. Maybe that'll be part two, but, um, if there is somebody listening and they are learning to live with grief, like they are learning to live with this significant loss, what would you be, what would be your advice? that everything that you're feeling is normal. Yeah. That there's, there's not a, you're not alone. There's other people that go through the same thing. Um, there's other people, if you're angry or whatever, there's other people that are angry. There's other people that are crying. There's other people that are sad. There's other people that can't get through it. You're not the first. Okay. You're not the first. Um, because for a male, it's something hard because first and foremost, um, find you a, a a close friend that you can confide in and like how you feel and you know just open up because one males are not just going to be like oh I feel this type of way I'm going to counseling they're going to talk to their closest friend you know or anybody even if it's a work person you know a work uh 
um, friend or some something that you feel close to or sharing with or whatever. Um, but it's always good to share it. You know, you may feel like you need to sit in a car or something like that and just talk. Just make sure that the windows are tinted so nobody thinks that you're kind of going crazy. <laughs> so you're talking to yourself? Yeah. Just so, getting, so just getting it out? Just getting it out, you know. And being, you know, you have to get it out because a lot of people go through grief and don't ever explain it. And are being able to um, express it. And, you know, being able to express it or um, average black, you know, male... Now, it doesn't even have to be, you know, African-American. The average male, are, they're not going to run to counseling. They're not going to run to... But counseling is beneficial. It is. It is. It and it is. helped, right? Yes, it did. You know, but there's also that person that will never go to counseling. And you don't... The, the thing that I'm trying to get to at is just don't keep it bottled in. You know, talk. Yeah. You know, and it's okay to cry. It's okay to... um you know, have be, be in that emotional state, you know, because we don't, as males, we don't want to be um, emotional because then we think that we're soft or we think that, you know, we're weak. That toxic yeah. masculinity. And that's not, that's not the, the fact. Yeah. So, in speaking of, like, not going to counseling, do you, you know, since your wife is a, um, you know, a grief counselor and, and therapist. Nice plug. I'm just saying, like, what, what about the stigma of that? Like, what? Like, if you were to say, like, you know, you're like, most black dudes not going to show up and be like, oh, I'm finding a therapist. Like, I'm on a counselor. What would you say to people who think like that? Um, It's different. It's, 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 it's better than you think it is. It's not, it's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of, um, you know, your, your masculinity is falling away because you got to go talk to somebody or nothing like that. The counseling part is a, a very, very important um, thing that we all need to go through. And I, you know, I just, I mean, I encourage males to just, you know, to go to counseling. With a licensed clinician. Yes, with a licensed clinician. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I said that to say, because I think, you know, we have our circles. We and, and Corey and I kind of talk about this a lot. We have our circles. We have our people who show up in spaces for us that hold space for us that we love, that are confidants, that help us and support us. But also, there are some things that we just need a clinician to help us talk through. Like, we need to process with. And so that's what I just throw that in there. But um, kind of joking, but very, very serious. Um, well, husband, I just appreciate you so much. I appreciate your vulnerability and your transparency. Um, I thank you for being in this space with me and then encouraging me to be in this space. Um, I hope that this was helpful for someone. Um, because I think it's really important that we talk about grief. We normalize just living through human experiences and how, um, really great people can do really hard things. Thank you so much for joining us. So here's what you can do. Talk in your circle about living with grief. Listen to people. Create an opportunity and a space for people to be able to share what they're really thinking about grief and loss. Let's change the narrative. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe so you can hear from us each week. But then also, go ahead and rate us and share. It's so helpful to help us get that traction. Also, just remember, this podcast is informational purposes only. Although we're sharing lessons, this does not replace a relationship with a licensed therapist. Thank you and y'all be blessed.